Hello everyone, I wanted to tell you that releasing as well as publishing the doubts that I couldn't help but to have about religion starting at the age of five was was the most painful episodes to do. Um, I, I... One of the ways that I could not help but to live in fear was feeling like I let down God and feeling like I let down uh, my grandma Claire along with it Um, because she's the one who introduced me to the Holy Trinity and there was a vow that y'all know that before she um, left this earth, she had me sincerely and genuinely promise her that I would keep Jesus number one in every area of my life and I would never deny him in that pain did resurface for for a while when I did the Jesus not the Messiah episode and I want to clarify what I mean when I say that. I'm not saying that Jesus could not have been the Messiah. What I was talking about was the doubts I had towards Jesus being the Messiah because I would read the Bible and I could not understand why many people, not all people in the church, painted Jesus as this Pharisee that was all about being of legalism and that portrait of Jesus has it it deeply frustrates me Um, it was the way that some church people would behave and act that made it difficult for me for many years to consistently accept Jesus as Lord, Savior, Messiah, uh, the Christ, uh, the royalty of all royalties, the Lord of Lords, you know. And the biggest reason why I have struggled to consistently accept Jesus as Messiah, you know, the, and um, royalty of all royalties and um the um, the Christ, those type of titles, is because healing for me is there's the fluctuation and the fluidity of duplexity, complexity, dichotomy, uh, shades of grass known as gray areas. Um, the complications, the dualities, and the polarities that being introduced to both Jesus and the universe of organized crime did to me 
So I'm not denying Jesus is his Messiahship, S-H-I-P. I'm not denying Jesus is um, um, being a royalty of all royalties. I'm not denying any Christ titles toward Jesus. That wasn't absolute. That was it. The goal of the episode. The goal of the episode was to come from a good place, which I know I did. And any religion episode I do, it comes from a good heart, because I did not get a chance to enjoy. Uh, being a Christian because when I met Jesus I was already victimized by demonic devilishness and um, when I um, started going to church buildings for years every week was filled with church um I noticed certain things about church that um, profoundly concerns me. Um, For example, I don't think that the pastor should be on call 24-7. I think Jesus should be the one on call 24-7 because pastors are not trained psychological professionals but the psychologists, the therapists the psychiatrists are so it's important to understand that there's nothing wrong with going to the pastor for theological concerns but the pastor is unable to help out with psychological concerns and I noticed that with when I've had lunch with pastors and preachers before, I noticed that a lot of times the meal times were rushed and, you know, quick, fast, in a hurry, in a jiffy, on the go. And I never liked the fact that the pastor didn't eat pastors, usually don't have enough time, just eat a meal without members. Uh, constantly texting them, constantly phone calling them, and constantly emailing them while they're enjoying a social outing with people. And for me, that never sat well with me. And it still doesn't because pastors are fully human and are not enough people humanize the pastors then pastors need to be fully humanized just like the preachers just like the congregants just like the ones in the choir loft just like the ones in church leadership and um, just like the ones who serve in ministries who partner up with even other churches Um, everybody needs to be fully humanized Um, another thing I noticed was there were times when I went to church, my childhood one, and the pastor was usually very busy. I never, to my knowledge, had a full-length conversation with the pastor. And, um, 
there would be a line of people waiting to talk to the pastor. And one particular time, I've done this for years, you know, I'll pop my head in, wave at the pastor, and then go home. Because usually I was able to small talk with the pastor. And then if I forgot that I wanted to say something to the pastor that I needed to say, I would just continue where I left off real quick and then go. It was all small talk. I didn't do full of conversations with pulpits because everybody would be all up on them in the church. So one time I did my usual, I've done this since childhood, popped in. Not, I didn't, usually I would not stick my head all the way in, but I would stand outside the office, say, hey, wave, and then go home because I'm hungry. I'm not continuing the conversation because, okay, my parents are, you know, we're heading to the car, service is over, we spoke to all the people that needed to be spoken to and showed, you know, God's love to everybody we should show God's love to. Now it's time to go home and rest and feed ourselves. It's lunchtime. So I did that. And one of, I would say some of the people in the line looked at me incredulously and frustratingly. And I just, in front of them, I greeted the pastor, said hello. He said hello to me. How you doing? Good, good, good. You're doing good? Okay. See you, see you next week, pastor. And that's what I did. This is about three years ago. And before I could even walk off to go home, because I'm like, I'm so busy. Eat. I'm so busy with soul food on my mind. I'm not going to think about anything else. I didn't intentionally ignore anybody. I'm, I'm thinking about the soul food platters. And the people in the mind stopped me. And they said, wait, that's all you want to say to the pastor? I said, yeah, I usually just, you know, I small talk to the pastor, then I go home. And then they looked at me and said, in the future, you can be as long with the pastor as you would like. And so that's when I would have full of the conversation with the pastors and nobody in the line would be upset with me because everybody else in the line agreed with what that lady said. Because I looked at the rest of them and they were like, yeah, 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 it's okay, it's okay. So... I from 2002-2019 I was small talk pastors didn't really or preachers I really didn't talk to them talk to them and that changed that day when you know I was around a pastor or I was around a preacher I would have actual discussions but I was only able to do that because other members know oh he's extremely respectful to pastor and the pastor's time so you know, if he wanted to have as long with the pastor as he needed to, we're not going to get mad because Antonio doesn't ball hog people and he doesn't ball hog anyone. He doesn't ball hog himself. You know, let, leave Antonio alone. Don't be mad at him. And and I come to recognize that um, when I was in church, I do remember in terms of church buildings, when I say church, I'm talking about the buildings. Um, when I was in church buildings, um, I remember that
for years, one of the reasons why I didn't have full-length conversations with preachers and pastors in the past was because whenever other members would talk to the pastor, they would hog up all the time. The members would rush in and the member had to leave because it's embarrassing because you're spending too much time with the pastor you know other people want to talk to the pastor so it was wild what I saw growing up and that's what made me go I'm not going to talk to the pastor because these people you know they ball all these people in line ball hug the pastor's time and to my knowledge because a lot of them would um, would be very vocal and loud when they would talk. You couldn't over. I, I couldn't. I couldn't help but overhear that they would come to the pastor for psychological issues more than just theological concerns. And I was like, wow. You know, the stuff they talked to the pastor about would be heavy and weighty, and. Usually the pastors, uh, only a little bit of them would make references, you know, make referrals to trained professionals. The rest would try to counsel on their own, knowing that they would be, you know, greatly limited. And that was even problematic um, for me. Um, Another thing I noticed in church was the history of racism within the United Methodist Church. Not everybody, but some people in that world, and as well as the Baptist world. Some churches were founded by black congregants of a predominantly white church because they were relegated to the back and they could not serve in any um, church leadership positions and Holy Communion was served to the white congregants first before the black congregants and a lot of times you know I remember you know, this was reported in the news, so I can say it. This was in the Washington Post, so it's made public. So I'm not, you can't sue me because it's been made public. Once it's in the Washington Post, it's not just D.C. reading it. The whole world is reading it. So this was Foundry United Methodist Church. Um, had a history of treating it's black members in those ways I told you about. That's a big reason why Asbury United Methodist Church was founded. And these are DC local churches. And um, for me, When I first joined the church of Asbury United Methodist Church, I did not 
really notice those type of things. I remember being at Foundry United Methodist Church. I remember three times I submitted, I went to Sunday worship at that church. One of the reasons why I was attracted to the church is because it was a, it's a LGBT quite plus affirming church. And I was recommended by it by some of the young people at Asbury. And I was like, ooh, I would really like to attend. So for three Sundays, I would catch an Uber to the church. And for the most part, I was treated just fine. But there was three instances where I would fill out guest, my guest card um, information. And I would give it to, you know, the ministries at the church who would, you know, during service, they would take it. And nobody ever called me back. Nobody ever emailed me. Nobody ever messaged me. Nobody ever followed up with me. And that deeply hurt. And I remember... um, the pastor knew of me for that time I was there. I don't think she knows of me now, but I remember taking communion at the church. This is about, this was the fall of 2016. And what I remember was um, the pastor looked at me and just smiled. And I remember, you know, even though I would talk to people and they had good cupcakes and good pastries and I'm not going to lie, it was tasty. And, you know, people would talk to me. I still felt like some people are talking to me, but I'm not being fully included in this, you know, world of Foundry United Methodist Church in D.C. So I remember going after, I think it was one of the three Sundays they had after church, they had this thing. It was a service where they they were talking about race relations. And I remember there was barely any black members. Um, It was uh, a couple of them who felt like Foundry was doing fine. And then one lady, I remember her talking, a white woman was talking about how at the time her black man fiance and what he dealt with that was racist outside of the church though. And she talked about how she does her best to be an effective ally for him and the black community. And even though everybody was talking about race relations, that definitely being a biblical mandate, I was puzzled because I'm like, but I barely see any black folks in this area. So I remember the pastor showed up It was a woman pastor, white woman pastor. And 
she saw me, smiled like she usually would. This she, she every time she saw me, she would smile at me. Um, so she came up to me, put her arm around me, kind of gently rubbed me, gave me a pen, small talk me, exchanged pleasantries in the form of a pleasant greeting. And then she went on to talk to the other people within the race relations um, within the race relations meeting we were having. I saw it within the bulletins. I was like, "Ooh, let me talk up. Let me at least familiarize myself with that." And I wanted to um, understand. Okay, how is race relations going at the church? And a couple of times I remember um, a guy um, who I was trying to connect with within the racial justice ministries. I didn't feel comfortable doing so because I was a young black man at the time. Dealing, you know, and I'm with an older white guy, and unfriendly. Just when I asked him about how to be more connected with the racial justice ministry, he simply referred me to the website. But since that was his domain, um, he didn't give me any information that if you're if you know this. And you know this information, and you're the, in charge of this ministry. You should be rattling it off very easily. And I remember just learning more about how racism was not as addressed as it should be, particularly the United Methodist Church world, and the fact that within the newspaper article that. Found, you know, Asbury Foundry met up at Foundry to hug it out and make it look like all forgiveness has been served. And they sometimes have pulpit exchanges where Asbury will preach at Foundry, Foundry preach at Asbury in terms of the pastorate, the women pastors. Because um, Asbury United Methodist Church has a black woman pastor. And what was so hard about that world um, for me was even seeing that newspaper article within the walls of the Asbury Church. I remember my dad was disgusted by it, and he just walked off. And I read a little bit more. I got disgusted, and then I walked off. And I saw that Asbury at its height had over a thousand members, mostly black back in the in the Jim Crow days. But then it trailed off as the as, you know as the twentieth century wore off. And it 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 it, it, it really stung. Just to see those things because it showed me that um, there was a lot of historical issues 
that when certain black folks got government jobs or started getting more access to economic capital, their social justice passion waned. And maybe they were in social justice for all the wrong reasons, more self-serving. And I noticed that even today, the community, you know, community is a lost art in a lot of churches. Hospitality is a lost art in a lot of churches, too. Fellowship is a lost art in a lot of churches. But a lot of people come to church simply to network, to build their brand, and to be entrepreneurial. They don't really come to church to grow in Jesus. They don't really come to church to to serve the least of these better. Um, Christ-likeness is not the number one reason why they are in the four walls called church. And then I noticed this. is that politicians come to churches and the members don't show up like they're supposed to. Many of them don't. Some do, but many of them don't. And it's like, wait, this politician is trying to get votes from y'all. You really should show up because some of y'all have children on the autism spectrum. Some of y'all are in poverty. Some of y'all are low income. Some of y'all are... um, Some of y'all are hungry. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from. Your kids don't know where the next meal is coming from. So... And some of y'all are abuse survivors yourselves. And some of your kids are abuse survivors themselves. So you need to talk to the politicians about what's happening to you and to your family so they so you can constantly be on them to pass legislation in favor of you and your family. And it was weird how only I would only see politicians come around during election season, but I did not see them come around to say, Hey, I want a genuinely healthy relationship with the church. I'll come even when I'm not trying to get votes. I didn't see that a lot. And that's what makes me think that certain politicians exploit some churches because some churches allow it to happen, unfortunately. Um, Another thing I saw in church was was the fact that within a lot of churches, and I really need to say this, um, and this is truly, truly from the heart. Um, What I saw was 
many people were being taken for granted that were the least of these. Um, They did not say that physical or sexual abuse was a crime. They didn't even say it was a sin. In fact, they didn't even tell people what I saw um, to call 911 when abuse is about to happen or happening. Not even call the police, which is really problematic not to do so. So, a lot of times with those issues, those heavy, weighty issues, um... I saw these instances in my mind when talking with some parishioners that many churches, um, when it's time to defend the victim, they show up in court in masses mostly to defend the victimizer. There was no adequate support for the victims. They would victimize the victims in the form of victim blaming, victim shaming, and victim gaming. But they would praise, magnify, glorify the victimizers. It got worse. The divorce rate is not too far from the divorce rate of society. They're both high. And people don't come to church expecting flawlessness out of everybody there. But many people come to church expecting that at least the problems of the world aren't as ginormously rampant in the church. All the problems of society are extremely low in the church. That's not the case. Um, You have, uh, they have um, so. There are other things about um, some churches, not all churches, that have greatly uh, concerned me. Um, And I do not have any pleasure whatsoever in describing these 
horrendous um, scenarios that I've been privy to. Um, This is what I want to say and need to say. The workplace politics of certain churches have been said to have um, dirty workplace politics, dirty office politics, and dirty organizational politics. For example, workplace gossip in some churches, because actually some churches do employ people, members, guests, visitors, regular attendees. It says, um, in in certain churches, you have people who are staring at someone rudely actually mean mugging um in some churches you have employees and um higher ups who indulge in inappropriate topics of conversation and Then there are the realities of some people on the church job who are animated and then they become silent, meaning that their conversation stops once the person they gossip about enters the room. Furthermore, there's the gossip, there's unacceptable gossip in church for some churches. And um, it is a form of workplace violence when you think about it, what gossip is. And yes, low self-esteem desire to fit in are aspects of the furtherance of workplace gossip. Um, Gossip can break existing bonds by ostracizing individuals in an organization that happens in some churches. Um, in terms of build social networks of individuals by bonding co-workers together and letting people to each other, that's bad when it comes to gossip. So in church, that's, that's a bad thing. 
just like it's a bad thing outside of church, too. And gossip, it, you know, helps individuals learn social information about other individuals and organization, often without even having to meet the other individuals. See, that's bad in the world of work and in the church world of work, too. Enhances one's social status slash power slash procedure and organization. That's bad. That's that in, in, in the secular world's work, the church world work. That's it's just bad that gossip does these things, and inform individuals as to what is considered social and acceptable behavior within an organization. That's bad in the world of work, including the church one. Um, there are things that do ha- that I've seen happen in church. There are times where. I was in church during the work hours when they were, um, it wasn't Sunday. It wasn't even the weekend. It was during the week. But I also saw these things during the week. So this is what I saw in the church world of work. Coercive. When a gossiper tells negative information about a person, their recipient might believe that the gossiper will also spread negative information about them. This causes the gossiper's coercive power to increase. Reward. When a gossiper tells positive information about a person, the recipient might believe that the gossiper also spread positive information about them. This causes the gossiper's reward power to increase. Expert. When a gossiper seems to have very detailed knowledge of either the organization's values or about others in the work environment, their expert power becomes enhanced. Referent. This power can either be reduced or enhanced to a point when people view gossiping as a pretty activity. When people view gossiping as a petty activity done to waste time, a gossiper's referent power can decrease along with their reputation. When a recipient is thought of as being invited into a social circle by being a recipient, the gossiper's referent power can increase, but only to a high point when then, where then the recipient begins to resent the gossiper. I saw these things in church, and it says some negative consequences of workplace gossip that I've seen in church did include lost productivity and wasted time, erosion of trust and morale, increased anxiety among employees as rumors circulate without any clear information as to what is fact and what isn't, growing divisiveness among employees as people quote-unquote take size, hurt feelings and reputations, jeopardized chances for the gossipers jeopardized chances for the gossipers as advancements they are perceived as unprofessional and attrition as good employees leave the company due to the unhealthy work atmosphere. This is how Jesus, according to the Bible, addressed the issue of gossip. According to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus also taught that conflict resolution among church members ought to begin with the aggrieved party attempting to resolve their dispute with the offending party alone. Um, Only if this did not work would the process escalate to the next step in which another church member would become involved. After that, if the person at fault still would not, quote unquote, hear, the matter was to be fully investigated by the church elders, and if not, resolved to be then exposed publicly. 
and church expulsion and excommunication was is said to have been the last resort. Based on texts like these portraying gossip negatively, many Christian authors generalize on the phenomenon. So in order to gossip, writes Phil Fox Rose, we must harden our heart towards the quote-unquote out person. We draw a line between ourselves and them, define them as being outside the rules of Christian charity. We create a gap between ourselves and God's love. As we harden our heart towards more people and groups, he continues, this negativity and feeling of separateness will grow and permeate our world. We'll find it more difficult to access God's love in any aspect of our lives. Mm. And Jesus was big on, according to Matthew chapter 18, go to the person directly that you have issues with instead of going to someone and or others who have nothing to do with the issue with that person that you have issues with. And so... Here's what churches can do. Rise above the gossip. Understand what causes or fuels the gossip. Do not participate in workplace gossip. Allow for the gossip to go away on its own. If it persists, gather facts and seek appropriate help. And and here are other things that can help churches who have workplace gossip issues. Gossip can reinforce or punish the lack of morality and accountability, reveal passive aggression, isolating and harming others, serve as a process of social grooming, build and maintain a sense of community with shared interests, information and values, begin a courtship that helps one find their desire made by counseling others, provide a peer-to-peer mechanism for disseminating information. So these are things churches have to be sensitive to. So, well, then some church, because everything I'm saying also applies to the secular world of work, too. And also other houses of worship that are not Christian. So, here's some of the things I saw being told to me in certain churches, including research I've done. So, what I'm about to read to you. These ha- these all these things happen in some churches. I'm describing a hostile work environment that some churches are, not all of them. In United States labor law, a hostile work environment exists where one's behavior within a workplace creates an environment that is difficult or uncomfortable for another person to work in due to illegal discrimination. That does happen in some churches. Common complaints in sexual harassment lawsuits include fondling, Suggestive remarks, sexually suggestive photos displayed in the workplace, use of sexual language, or off-color jokes. Those thing, all those things happen in some churches. Small matters, annoyances, and isolated incidents are usually not considered to be statutory violations of the discrimination laws, even though those things happen in some churches too. For a violation to impose liability, the conduct must create a work environment 
that would be intimidating, hostile, or offensive to a reasonable person. Those things happen in some, all those things happen in some churches too. An employer can be held liable for failing to prevent these workplace conditions unless it can prove that it attempted to prevent the harassment that the employee failed to take advantage of existing harassment countermeasures or tools provided by the employer. Those things happen in some, all these things happen in some churches. Employers have tried to force employees to quit by imposing unwarranted discipline, reducing hours, cutting wages, or transferring the complainee employee to a distant work location. Those things, all those things happen in churches. Then it says, a hostile work environment may also be created when the management acts in a manner designed to make an employee quit in retaliation for some action. For example, if an employee reported safety violations at work was injured attempted to join a union or reported regulatory violations by management and management's response was to harass and pressure the employee to quit those things all those things happen in some churches in some churches, you have simple teasing, offhand comments, and isolated incidents that are not treated as extremely serious. And um, and some churches have instances of people being treated in hostile manners because of their membership in a protected class, such as gender age, race, national origin, disability status, and um, even sexual orientation, discrimination, gender identity discrimination, and some employees not being Christian, but they have a deep respect for Christendom. Um, In certain cases, they've been terminated because of those things. Um... In, certain, in some churches, importantly for them, their hostile work environment is gender neutral. That is, men do sec- some men can sexually harass some men, which happens. And, and some men do sexually harass some women, that happens. And some women uh, sexually harass some men, and some women sexually harass some, wo- uh, some women. Those things happen in some churches, it is true. And that's not being homophobic nor transphobic because we're talking about um, uh, addiction to abusive power. That's not the same as a person who is their innate orientation. Um, and yes, in some churches you do have, uh, whistleblower claims in regards to hostile work environments. You have reprisals, you have reports, you have violations of law, employer violations of law. A lot of people don't want to talk about these things, but these things do happen in some churches. 
Um, in some churches, there is the issue of um, workplace bullying. In some churches, there's the problem of workplace bullying. Um, Workplace bullying is a persistent pattern of mistreatment from others in the workplace that causes either physical or emotional harm. In some churches, that does happen. Um, It can include such tactics as verbal, nonverbal, psychological, sexual, and physical abuse. And emotional abuse and intellectual abuse, financial abuse, academic abuse, as well as humiliation. All those things happen in some churches. This type of workplace aggression, which happens in some churches, is particularly difficult because unlike the typical school bully, even though you do have school bullies in church, some churches, um, work, you know, workplace bullies, some of them are in church, often operate within the established rules and policies of their organization and their society. In the majority of cases, bullying the workplace support is having been done by someone who has authority over the victim. However, bullies can also be peers and rarely subordinates. You know, everything I just read to you happens in some churches. Uh, according to the Wiley's definition from Olwius, workplace bullying is a situation in which one or more persons systematically and over a long period of time perceive themselves to be on the receiving end of negative treatment on the part of one or more persons in a situation in which the person is exposed to the treatment has difficulty in defending themselves against this treatment. In some churches, all those things do happen. According to Einarsen, Hoyle, Zaff, and Cooper, bullying at work means harassing, offending, socially excluding someone, or negatively affecting someone's work task. In order for the label bullying or mobbing to be applied to a particular activity, interaction, or process, it has to occur repeatedly and regularly, example, weekly, and over a period of time, example, about six months. Bullying is an escalated process in the course of which the person confronted ends up in an inferior position and becomes the target of systematic negative social acts. All these things happen in some churches. According to Tracy Lutkin, Sadvik, and Alberts, researchers associated with this Arizona State University's Project for Wellness of Work Life, workplace bullying is most often a combination of tactics in which numerous types of hostile communication behavior are used. All those things happen in some churches. Gary and Ruth Namey define workplace bullying as repeated health-harming mistreatment, verbal abuse, or conduct, which is threatening, humiliating, intimidating, or sabotaging interferes with work of some combination of the three. All those things happen in some churches. Pam Lucan Sadvik expands this definition, stating that workplace bullying is persistent verbal and nonverbal aggression at work that includes personal attacks, social ostracism, and a multitude of other painful messages and hostile interactions. All those things happen in some churches. Um... 
Dr. Jan Kircher attempts to redefine workplace bullying, what she calls persistent workplace aggression, as an issue thought primarily about through the lens of individual conflict to an issue of organizational culture arguing. One of the biggest misconceptions that people have about workplace bullying is that it is similar to conflict, and therefore persistent workplace aggression is handled like conflict. However, according to Kircher, this approach is detrimental and actually prevents organizations from being able to effectively prevent, handle, or resolve bullying situations in the work environment. All these things happen in some churches. Uh, Catherine Madison Karen Garman defined workplace bullying as systematic aggressive communication, manipulation of work, and acts aimed at humiliating or degrading one or more individuals that create an unhealthy, unprofessional power imbalance between bullies and targets, result in psychological consequences for targets and co-workers, and cause enormous monetary damage to an organization's bottom line. All those things happen in some churches, and I do not say these things gladly. I say these things heartbrokenly. Um, Yes, the church has, some churches have workplace aggression as an issue. Workplace aggression is a specific type of aggression which occurs in the workplace. Workplace aggression can include a wide range of behaviors ranging from verbal acts, example, insulting someone or or spreading rumors to physical attacks, examples, punching or slapping. All those things happen in some churches. Workplace aggression can decrease the ability of a person to do their job well, lead to physical declines in health and mental health problems, and can also change the way a person behaves at their home and in public. All those things happen in some churches. Um, If someone is experiencing aggression at work, it may result in an increase in missed days, absence from work, and some may decide to leave their positions. In some churches, these things do happen. Um... There's expressions of hostility, behaviors that are primarily verbal, symbolic in nature, overt aggression, violent acts, obstructionism, behaviors attendant to hinder an employee from performing their job or the organization from accomplishing its objectives. The, all those things happen in some churches. Let me keep repeating that. So you have verbal, physical, uh, direct, indirect, active, and passive. Those are the three dichotomies that occur in some churches. Type 1, criminal intent. This type of aggression occurs when the aggressor has no relationship to the victim or organization. Customer slash client type 2. The aggressor has a relationship with the organization aggresses while they're being served as a customer. Work on worker type number 3. Both the aggressor and the victim are employees in the same organization. Often the aggressor is a supervisor and the victim is a subordinate. Personal relationship type 4. The aggressor has a relationship with an employee at an organization, but not the organization itself. This category includes victims who are assaulted by a domestic partner while at work. All those things happen in some churches.
In churches, there's some churches, I mean to say, there is cyber aggression or cyber harassment. Witty and Carr says, takes the forms of obscene or hate emails slash text messages that threaten or frighten or, re- or emails slash text messages that contain offensive content such as sexist or racist material. What is unique about this type of workplace harassment compared to more traditional forms of harassment is that this material can be sent by people in addition to work colleagues by other individuals outside the workplace, either known or not known to the person, even in the form of spam. I saw all those things, no, no, all those things happen in some churches. Some people in some churches feel offended, upset, or or feel threatened by organizational problems. And resorting to virtual communication and in-person communication are their forms of retaliation, also known as flaming. And then in some churches, that um, there's a lot of heightened anxiety, stress, pay cuts, pay freezes, changes in management, increased monitoring systems, increased computer monitoring. Increased diversity, increased use of part-time employees, all were related to higher levels of workplace aggression. In certain churches, those things do happen. You have workplace surveillance employee monitoring. It's positively related to workplace aggression against supervisors, such that the greater the number of employee surveillance methods used, the greater the amount of workplace aggression. Furthermore, supervisory control over work overwork performance has also been shown positively related to workplace aggression against against supervisors. This type of behavior has been observed both uh, by both adults and teenagers. Some of those things do have, all these things happen in some churches. Perceived job insecurity or feelings of impending termination has been found to be a predictive workplace aggression, which does happen in some churches. And yes, in certain, in some church, in some churches, here are the problems. Here are some of the problems. Somewhere between the extremes are numerous everyday examples of workplace rudeness and impropriety, including disrespecting workers by comments, gestures, approving behaviors, hostility based on characteristics such as their race, religion, gender, etc. This is considered workplace discrimination, disrupting meetings, emotional put-downs, giving dirty looks or other negative eye contact. For example, a hawk eye is considered to be 
threatening the culture of the United States, giving public reprimands, giving the silent treatment, insulting others, making accusations about professional competence, not giving credit where credit is due, overruling decisions without giving a reason, sending a nasty, demeaning note like hate mail, talking about someone behind their backs, undermining credibility in front of others, and going on emotional tirades and losing one's temper. All those things happen in some churches. Examples at the more subtle end of the spectrum include asking for input and then ignoring it, forgetting to share credit for a collaborative work, giving someone a dirty look, interrupting others, not listening, side conversation during a formal business meeting slash presentation, speaking with a condescending tone, waiting, patient, waiting impatiently over someone's desk to gain their attention. All those things happen in some churches. And the corporate symptoms of long-term incivility for some churches are higher than normal employee turnover, a large number of employee grievances and complaints, lost work time by employees calling in sick, increased consumer complaints, diminished productivity in terms of quality and and quantity of work, cultural communications barriers, lack of confidence and leadership, inability to adapt effectively to change, lack of individual accountability, and lack of respect. So... When it comes to some churches, you have, they have um, occupational stress, reduced job satisfaction, job stress, depression, and reduced life satisfaction as well. So workplace instability is a problem for some churches. And some, and my last thing about that is that um, in churches you ha- in some churches you have uh, toxic leaders, narcissistic leadership, uh, narcissism in the workplace, culture of fear, bullying culture, abusive power, and control, and. and toxic workplaces. Here are some of the... Here's the aggressive narcissism when it comes to toxic leadership in certain in some churches. You have glibness slash superficial charm, grandiose sense of self-worth, pathological lying, cunning slash manipulative, lack of remorse or guilt, Callish slash lack of empathy, shallow emotional effect, genuine emotion, and short-lived and egocentric failure to accept responsibility for own actions, as well as arbitrariness and self-aggrandizement, belittling of subordinates, lack of consideration for others, a forcing style of conflict resolution, discouragement of initiative, 
non-contingent use of punishment that is punishment example displeasure or criticism allotted without discernible or consistent principles not dependent on uh, not dependent on or necessarily associated with undesirable behaviors and then again the, all these things happen in some churches here are the tools that toxic leaders use in some churches workload the setting up to fail procedures in particular a well-established workplace bullying tactic that a toxic leader can use against their rivals and subordinates. Corporate control systems. They could use the processes in place to monitor what is going on. Disciplinary systems could be abused to aid their power culture. Organizational structures. They could abuse the hierarchies, personal relationships, and the way that work flows through the business. Corporate power structures. The toxic leader controls who, if anyone, makes the decisions and how widely spread power is symbol symbols of personal authority these may include the right to into parking spaces and executive washrooms or access to supplies and uniforms narcissistic symbols and self-images example workplace full of self-portraits workplace rituals and routines management meetings board reports disciplinary hearings performance essays and so on may become more habitual than necessary All these things happen in some churches. Here are other things happen in some churches too. Heavy running costs and a high staff turnover slash overtime rate are often also associated with employee-related results of a toxic leader. Toxic workplaces are often considered the result of toxic employers and slash or toxic employees who are motivated by personal gain, power, money, fame, or special status, use unethical means to psychologically manipulate and annoy those around them, and whose motives are to maintain or increase power, money, or special status, or divert attention away from their performance shortfalls and misdeeds. All those things happen in some churches. Toxic workers do not recognize a duty to the organization for which they work or their co-workers in terms of ethics or professional conduct toward others. Toxic workers define relationships with co-workers not by organizational structure, but by co-workers they favor those they do not like or trust. All those things happen in some churches. A toxic workplace is a colloquial term used to describe a place of work, usually an office environment, that is marked by significant personal conflicts between those who work there. Such infighting can often harm productivity. All those things happen in some churches. Um, you know, I... Um, one time I was talking to a pastor about how I was treated at Foundry and the youth pastor at the time was there, as well as um, talking about one time when I was in church, 
I tried to hug a lady that I knew of, and the church we went to, I hugged each other. I remember she almost knocked me down. She pushed me that hard. I was able to catch my balance and stand. And the other members had to tell her, he's a fellow member of this church. He should not have done that. And she just didn't even apologize. She just stood there processing everything. And I noticed that it got very political about those things, you know, you know, the excusing it and the minimizing it and treating it like it's a no big deal in terms of that incident and how she did foundry. Um, making it seem like I should have been the bigger person. Um, just a lot of cruelty, you know. And then, um, you know, I remember being at, um, the first Baptist church of Glen Arden, and, uh, Pastor Jenkins said something that has stuck with me for the rest of my time in life. And he said, um, he spends most of his time trying to convince Christians to obey um, the word. And it dawned on me that within Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talks about people who pretend to follow him, but their hearts are far from him. So there are certain people in some churches who try to get permission from the pastor to sin. Pastoral permission to indulge in sin and iniquity is what some church members and certain church attenders do. The, the people who, those people who do that tend to be a brood of vipers. They tend to be whitewashed tombs. They tend to be hypocrites. They tend to want to stay milk, meaning spiritually immature, as a Christian forever. And they intend to be spiritually blind guides. And so, in other words, people who do that to the pastor, directly or indirectly, they may outwardly say that's what they want, you know, to get permission from the pastor to do sinful things. Or they may camouflage it indirectly, dry telling on themselves. They're saying it without saying it. They may not tell the whole story, some do. But 
there are snakes who do take advantage of pastors and pastors allow us some pastors allow it and some pastors will try to um, do everything that their church members tell them to do if that means constant barraging um, interrupting barging in cutting off my time with my children the parent the other parent of my children and cutting off my time with my friends my social life and the other endeavors I'm embarking on a lot of pastors sadly do those things a lot of preachers sadly do those things too um And as a pastor, you're not supposed to spend most of your time um, trying to convince Pharisees to be Christian. In other words, don't spend most of your time attempting to get Pharisees to... To not be Pharisees. The final way to say it is. Spend most of your time with the least of these. And spend the least amount of time. With the Pharisees. Um. Plus, I didn't like the slapping the money on the altar while the pastor is preaching. You know, when I was looking at the Museum of the Bible, I saw First Baptist and Pastor Jenkins' name on it. I didn't see Pastor Albert John Wesley and Alfred Street Baptist Church's name on it. Um, but they, I, but they were the ones who talked about. When it came to the National African American History Museum and Culture, they put their name, Alpha Street and Bass Wesley, that, you know, Alpha Street's name is on the on the list of people who contributed to the museum. But I also saw Pastor Jenkins of Irish Baptist Church Glen Artins. Um, their name on that museum, too. So why contribute to one but not the other? You know, Museum of the Bible, you don't think Alfred Street members wouldn't want to go? Wouldn't that make, wouldn't, isn't that free advertisement? People come into the museums and therefore people will look at the names of people who contribute and they'll go, you know what, I'm going to start attending this church. First Baptist, Alpha Street. I want to know more about Pastor Wesley and uh, Pastor Jenkins. You would think that that would work, but it, 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 that's, my sign says it all. So I noticed that, um, a lot of times I remember at Alpha Street, um, I remember 
the Selah sermon that Pastor Wesley did, December 1st, 2019. Pastor Wesley was about 47 years old at the time. And what really, really hurt was um, at the time he um, was talking about his health issues, doctor's reports, the numbers are going up. He wasn't saying everything because he made it clear that some things he was just going to keep to himself about his life. And I wanted to get up and leave, but I didn't. You know, the depressing anxiety was that overwhelming in my heart at the moment. And that was the Sunday I remember I Ubered to church that day. My dad and my mom weren't able to drive me there. So I um, I was happy that day. I was able to get I was able to be seated well. And from what I remember, um, that I got through the door, sat down, it was very peaceful. I was on cloud nine the whole day. And then all of a sudden, I remember with, with Pastor Wesley, that's when he announced he was stepping down from the church for a while. And I think it's, he, and basically he was up front about God is putting him on timeout because he, he, he was so into doing all the things that Pastor is expected to do by church that God said to him, you have to leave my church. That was God's indirect way of telling him the church fully belongs to me. And I remember as I walked out, um, there was... um, There were many people, many black church women at Alpha Street. Some were cursing loudly. Some were just being loud, but they didn't cuss. But they were basically roasting Pastor Wesley in my ear. In my ear, like behind me, I could hear it. And even to the side of me, I could hear it too. So I walked out As soon as I found I called my Uber as I was on my phone Walking out, settling setting it up As I hit the corner I took off running I literally ran from church hurt me to even say that's why I took I'm taking some pauses and it was raining that day I had on, I had a hoodie on with my 
I think I wore my Tim's that day. And uh, Butterball Tim's. Um, Timberland boots. So I put my hoodie on, just ran. And I never worshipped at Alfred Street again. It'll be... On December 1st, three... I haven't worshipped with Alfred Street in almost three years. And I used to worship there every Sunday at one point. I was going frequently. Um, that hurt. I was. It was brutal. It was devastating. Um, it was usually Alfred Street. People were chatty, outgoing. Um, talking quick to come up to new people and talk and that happened to me frequently very inviting very welcoming in terms of their ministries what they have to offer Um, and I left because it was like I couldn't worship in a place where I got to meet Pastor Jenkins when I joined First Baptist, he shook my hand. But I was planning on joining Alpha Street on December 15th, that uh, Sunday. And December 1st, that Sunday, that's when Pastor West announced he was taking a sabbatical. He had to come back earlier in about April because COVID was really, really uh, harming America and... and um, I didn't feel comfortable joining the church without the pastor shaking my hand. Um, um, I'm going to share more about the church tonight, so stay tuned.